From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this is Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. Today, with the first trial in the Fulton County election conspiracy case set to get underway in the next few days, Fannie Willis tells a closed gathering what it's like to be the target of intense hatred and lies. These personal moments when you're like, why am I being personally attacked and all I'm out here trying to do is my job? And I'm Greg Bluestein. You'll hear Fannie Willis's emotional remarks about the price she's paying by the attacks hurled at her from Trump supporters. I'm Patricia Murphy. President Joe Biden is now in Israel, but his visit has been complicated by the uproar over a deadly blast at a Gaza hospital that killed hundreds of people. Over the next two days here on the podcast, we'll talk about two members of the Georgia General Assembly for whom the war is especially personal. Today, our guest is Representative Rua Roman of Gwinnett, the first Palestinian-American in the General Assembly. Tomorrow, we'll be joined by the legislature's only Jewish member, Representative Esther Panich. I'm Tia Mitchell, live from Washington. Republicans in the U.S. House are in a familiar position once again today. They failed to elect a speaker on Tuesday. Will Jim Jordan's demand for another vote today win him the gavel? We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Uh, Greg, uh No lack of uh, things to talk about today. President Biden in Israel right now with Gaza raging over the attack on the hospital there, the Arab world up in arms over that. There's still not a speaker of the House. Um, You had an incredible uh, story that we'll talk about in a few minutes about Fonnie Willis opening up about uh, what it's like to be attacked. It's there's never a slow day anymore. There's not. I want to show, share a funny story about uh, earlier this week when I brought my daughter to the show with us, and then I brought her to a bunch of meetings at the corporate with the editors, with to a couple sourced coffees, <laughs> and she goes, "Daddy, when are you going to actually work? <laughs> all you've been doing is talking all day." And so sometimes when it's this busy, it is uh, there is no there's no relief. But look, as Patricia said earlier, uh, we could have enough uh, stuff to talk about for ten shows a week, let alone five. Patricia, when are you going to bring your kids to uh, uh, Politically Georgia? <laughs> when they've done something very, very bad. That will be their <laughs> punishment <laughs> to make them watch me work for an hour. I work enough at home that they see me working all the time. So I don't want to make them uh, come out. I am going to bring them to the Capitol, the state Capitol. And also I'm going to take them up to D.C. um, to the U.S. Capitol, because as long as I'm in this job, that is one thing I really do want to share with them. No offense to the politically Georgia team. I mean, if there is a teacher work day, you better believe both of the kids are coming with me. And my daughter, who is now 26 years old, is very excited because I've gotten her. She's going to be my guest at the premiere of this extraordinary documentary. The AJC is about to roll out. The South's got something to say, which is about the hip hop scene in Georgia. We got a big premiere coming up. Emma is so excited to be able to uh, come to that. All right, let's get to uh, today's uh, podcast. Um, This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, 
to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Let's start with this. Um, We all know that Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is described by a lot of people as fearless, unafraid to take on even uh, the most important people, the most difficult cases. And she's certainly doing that with her RICO indictments against Donald Trump and his allies, who she accuses of trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. But you obtained some exclusive audio of Fonnie Willis at a private fundraiser in which he really talked pretty emotionally about the toll that this take took has been taking on her. Set the stage for us, and, and in a moment we'll play some of what you got. Yeah, you know, we're going to hear her speak in emotional and deeply personal details about the toll this is taking. You know, all these lies, uh, all the attacks, um, some of them partisan, some of them from Donald Trump's allies. Um, She doesn't specifically mention Donald Trump's name, uh, nor does she talk to these donors about any individual cases. But look, we all know, um, and she's spoken before about the death threats, the racist attacks. And then there's some just, uh, you know, then there's some... uh, attacks that are coming from different venues as well, like the formal complaint that we spoke about last week that came from Senate Republicans seeking to oust or sanction her um, after she brought charges against Donald Trump and his allies. And so I think this is uh, partly extraordinary because she's talking in detail at this private gathering uh, to these donors who are all gathered for her 52nd birthday celebration. Why don't we listen uh, to what Fonnie Willis had to say? If you are a leader, you're going to be attacked. And yeah. so there are some days I'm human and I, I'm really angry or I'm hurt that somebody would tell a bold face lie on me. I mean, I think the craziest is I was sleeping with a gangbanger. I'm like, a 17 year old? Like, what? I like him old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? You, know, oh, so you have these personal moments where you're like, why am I being personally attacked? And all I'm out here trying to do is my job. And in the reading of that scripture, what it told me is you ain't special. That if you are a leader and you are put in a position that people are going to lie on you and they're going to attack you, but you have to still do what is the mission. And the mission here is that we keep society safe, that everyone is equal, and that the law is protected. I, Patricia, I really, I mean, the whole statement is so powerful, but I really love her talking about the scripture saying it shows her you ain't special, as she put it. What do you think about uh, these remarks from Fonnie Willis? Well, I think a couple of things. I mean, we've heard her refer to 
all of the um, online hate that's been coming at her, but she really was talking about what was coming at her office and her assistant DAs and investigators and not so much about what was coming at her personally. So this is um, unusual. I think she was also um, showed a lot of resolve, though. I mean, she is a very deeply religious person. If you've ever talked to her, um, that's something that's that's abundantly clear. Um, But she also said, and this is my job. Um, Now, let's also remember the context. She's also a politically elected leader. This was at a fundraiser. And so she wants to share a little bit of her inner world with these donors to let them know um, she's not a robot. You know, she wants them to be connected to her. But she also is saying to them, I, I am focused on only on the work that I'm doing. And um, she uh, is going to be up for election in 2024. And it's very possible that Donald Trump is on that ballot with her. One point that Patricia just raised is what I found interesting about that clip that Greg obtained. And it's that it gives us a little bit of insight into Fannie Willis's personality that we don't normally get, right? Because when we see her speaking, she's usually at a press conference where she's being very professional and talking about the case. Um, or even as she's talked about being attacked, it was still at a press conference where she was very measured. And so this, to me, was, yes, she was still talking about something that was um Uh, made her angry and was connected to her job, but putting it in more personal ways, showing a little bit of her personality. We now know she likes older men. I mean, to me, I think it's important to like remember, and this is what a lot of times the people on social media and the people hiding behind computers tend not to either they forget or they disregard that at the end of the day, these are all real people with families and feelings. And and that's something that we should all keep in mind when we talk about these high profile elected officials. Yeah, Greg, let's put some of what she said in context. She, she talks about the fact that uh, the craziest thing was that she was sleeping with a gangbanger. And, and the context around that is at one point a story was floated. I frankly don't remember where it began, that she had had an involvement, a romantic involvement mm-hmm. with one of the defendants in the YSL conspiracy trial. Yeah, and it stemmed from a Rolling Stone quote, you know, that, that was unsubstantiated even at the time. Um, and Donald Trump kind of took it and run with, ran with it. And he alleged a few months ago that she was in a relationship with a young gang, gang member while she was prosecuting, uh, you know, that case. And at the time, you know, this goes back to Tia's point at the time, Fonnie Willis sent an email to her colleague saying it was derogatory and false. And it was very, kind of very terse statement, but this audio gives you that inner glimpse of, yes, you know, uh, she, she almost a brief moment of levity. She was laughing there when she says, I don't know, a 17 year old. What? I like the mold, you know, she's saying, <laughs> where is this even coming from? But then she goes back to, yes, you know, she is a human being too. She, she hears these, these, these accusations. They, they do take a toll on you. You know, you can't pretend like there's some shield up and that you, if you're a public official like her and you've been facing an onslaught of these attacks, uh, especially the the lies, the the racism, the other vitriol she's been facing. And, you know, and you could hear her say she goes to the scripture. She didn't say what, you know, what specific verse or, or, or book she was looking at, but she says she goes back to uh, the scripture to sort of reinforce herself when she's feeling particularly vulnerable. 
Patricia, I think it's important that we point out that, again, although she never mentions Donald Trump or any of his allies by name, she also doesn't mention that in addition to uh, some of the rumors being spread by Trump and his supporters, she's also now, it appears, going to face um, a commission inquiry that uh, Georgia Senate Republicans are bringing to the new uh, the new group, the new commission that will investigate the uh, conduct, uh, the uh, uh, professionalism of DAs across the state. She's the first name that we're hearing is going to come before the commission. Yes. And of course, her name was never mentioned when this bill was being debated in the General Assembly. Absolutely never. And when we asked leaders, what doesn't this have something to do with Fonnie Willis? The answer was no. This has to do with, um, you know, the fact that we need to have oversight over people who have no oversight um, upon them. Um, now, Fonnie Willis will say the voters are her oversight. But putting putting that aside, um, a lot of this is driven by Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters going to their members of the state house and state Senate and saying, what are you going to do about Fonnie Willis? Because when Donald Trump has his rallies, he talks about her specifically. So she's a rogue DA, a communist, a Democrat, that it's you know, obviously fake news, a witch hunt, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, conservative radio will pick that up and say, you need to call your state senators, your state representatives, tell them to stop Fonnie Willis. That's what the entire Colton Moore episode was about when he was trying to get a special session of the General Assembly. It was to defund Fannie Willis's office. It's all being driven by Donald Trump, who, of course, is at the center of her investigation, and she has indicted him. So um, we know that he is going to attack anybody coming after him, and Fannie Willis is doing that. But it does create this circle of feedback for her that then occasionally gets wrapped up in the legitimate business of the state of Georgia um, and people bringing real actual complaints against her in front of this oversight commission. You know, Greg, it's also, uh, of course, worth pointing out that she makes this statement, as I think Patricia really rightly points out, this was a fundraiser. um, And and so she had some reason for uh, wanting to open up a, a, a bit more to show her the human side of Fonnie Willis to uh, donors and potential donors. But um, she's also about to start the first trial. We're going to see the early trial uh, of Kenneth Chesborough and uh, Sidney Powell. Uh, Jury selection is supposed to start on Friday because they did, in fact, uh, request the early trial under Georgia statutes. So if anything, in the weeks ahead, the attacks on Fonnie Willis are only likely to increase. Yeah, it's about to get a lot bumpier uh, here. And as uh, AJC Trump extraordinaire reporter Tamar Hallerman told us yesterday, uh, we could be looking at a five-month or so trial just for these first two defendants. And the Donald Trump trial itself uh, could be as early as kind of middle of next year, but could be even pushed to 2025. Um, Fonnie Willis has her own re-election campaign to worry about. It's a deeply blue county. So, uh, you know, I think the biggest concern she might have is a primary opponent, not a Republican opponent. But look, it still could become a proxy war over whether or not uh, this prosecution of Donald Trump it was a misuse of, of public resources. And when we're talking about these, the sort of attacks and the targeting, there's all, there's the direct attacks, you know, 
from the racist attacks, the lies, whatever, uh, the direct, the complaints against Funny Willis. And then there's the indirect attacks. And one of those we talked about a few days ago as well is this uh, Senate Republican push to investigate the Fulton County Jail, which, yes, it's over you know the humanitarian crisis in the Fulton County Jail. But one senior Republican official told me, who's an ally of this, told me, look, don't think for a second this also isn't about Fonnie Willis and the backlog in the jail there, too, that they that, that her critics feel is because of her misuse and mishandling of public resources. Uh, Tia, another way that we can frame uh, the remarks that Fonnie Willis made is to uh, remind everyone of what just happened in federal district court uh, in Washington, where the Jack Smith prosecution of uh, Trump for his uh, efforts to overturn the election is bubbling up. There are motions being made uh, every week. And of course, just the other day, uh, Judge Ta- Ch- Tanya Chotkin, Chotkin issued a, a very narrow gag order saying that Trump could not continue to attack members of her staff. He couldn't attack potential witnesses um, and others uh, uh, and potential jurors in the case as well. Um, She, by the way, said you're she didn't say it, but she says she's fair game, essentially, by not adding herself to the list of people who we could not uh, talk about. So it's going to be interesting to see whether at some point, as as the Fonnie Willis case moves forward, whether there's any similar effort to uh, uh, restrain Trump in the comments he makes here in the Fulton County case. Well, we have to remember that there are already some limitations because as a condition of his bond agreement, he had to agree not to make disparaging statements against potential witnesses and court personnel, including on social media. So it's technically not a gag order, but it kind of serves the same purpose because um, if he is perceived to have violated that agreement, Uh, The court could try to revoke his bond and put him in jail um, leading up to his trial. Now, again, that's pretty extreme. And I don't expect former President Trump to, you know, have to spend some nights at the Fulton County Jail. But it's possible if he decides to violate that bond agreement. I will say that so far, um, ever since making that agreement, he's he's been more measured in what he said publicly about the Fulton County trial. He also has a gag order in that separate third New York case. Um, and so it's looking like they kind of are serving their purpose. But the question a lot of people have is long term, will he be able to abide by these agreements? Thank you for reminding me about the bond agreement, because I personally had completely forgotten that. So thank you very much for uh, bringing it up. Greg, before we take a break, just wrap up how it uh, feels to you when you first heard these comments and what you think they tell us about Fonnie Willis, how you think they'll be received by uh, readers of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and others who hear these comments. I think it's just so different reading them in a statement you know, like she gave a statement a few weeks ago about the, these Trump lies about her relationship with a teenage, you know, then hearing them 
yourself, you know, hearing, you know, a little bit of laughter when she's kind of joking about it, but also um, how it affects her person. We know that she's a number of security threats. We, we've, we've, we've seen her talk at different events around the, the state and around the city about the toll this is taking. But this is, this is among a group of friends. These are among a group of about 40 or so donors who are supporting her. And, and I think sometimes when you're caught in this sort of, uh, you know, unscripted moment, you really can hear her speak from her heart. Greg Bluestein, thank you so much for uh, uh, that terrific uh, uh, story. Um, I'm sure it, we'll hear more about it in the days and weeks ahead. When we come back, President Biden has now landed in Israel um, and so increased the focus on the terrible war between Israel and Hamas. Um, we're going to talk to Georgia's only Palestinian-American legislator about the war. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. You can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which you can become right now. Just go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, you'll get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. Subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And if you do that, you'll always know what's really going on. In just a moment, we're going to talk to the only Palestinian-American member of the Georgia General Assembly, Rua Roman. But before we get to that, I think we have to set it up by talking a bit about President Biden, who has now arrived in Israel. He went in with one idea, that he was going to uh, talk to leaders in uh, Jordan, in Egypt, in the uh, Palestinian Authority, and try to somehow be an honest broker to see if this war can be brought under control and and come and that it could come to a successful conclusion certainly first and foremost for Israel try to contain uh, the potential of the war spreading beyond there instead Patricia Murphy um, even apparently as Biden might already have been in the air there was this horrific blast at a Gaza hospital where the Gaza medical authority now says some 500 people have died. Um, of course, the uh, uh, Hamas and, uh, uh, is, and, and Islamic Jihad are blaming this on Israel, targeting the hospital. Israel has been rolling out evidence that they think makes it clear that, in fact, what happened was that an Islamic Jihad missile went astray and hit the hospital. And the thing is, Patricia, the facts of this are not going to change how it's going to roil the situation and make it even hotter than it already is. Yeah, well, it just continues to intensify. And uh, I think it's going to get worse and worse from here. We're going to continue to see more violence, um, more intensification of this process until there is an agreement um, to 
figure out what comes next. And we don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, President Joe Biden, I think uh, it is it was bold of him to go into Israel when this is going on. He's the first American president to go in to the country um, when there's an act of war underway. And so it is his way to show just completely um, un, uh, unalloyed commitment to Israel on behalf of the United States. At the same time, he's also urging Israel, we're told in reports, um, to uh, not think about occupying Gaza, to consider how to put humanitarian um, crises uh, as a part of their mix, that he is looking to balance this. He's the former chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So he's been in these rooms before. He has traveled all over the world. He has met with all of these world leaders. This is really, I think, where he believes he can be of the most value. Um, But to go into a hot war zone, I think, is something that um, Israel wanted to see, um, that uh, Jewish Americans here wanted to see, and uh, is something that there, there needs to be additional voices in this conversation, I think. And so, hopefully it it will find a path forward we just don't know what that's going to look like though atia this does uh, put president biden on a very very much more narrow path than he had hoped he would be on uh when he decided to make this trip of course he's going to say america is fully supportive of israel's right to protect itself to defend itself against Hamas and other terrorist organizations. Um, But at the same time, um, his summit with uh, President al-Sisi from Egypt, with King Abdullah in Jordan, uh, with Mahmoud Abbas, the president of of, uh, the um, uh, Palestinian Authority, have all been canceled. Biden did say when he landed that he believes, he said, the other team, he used that phrase, was responsible for this uh, blast at the hospital. Yeah, so I think initially when Biden scheduled the trip, he had hoped to, of course, show support for Israel, solidarity with Israel, but to also show that he was willing to reach out to um the Palestinian leaders and allies of Palestine without, of course, while still saying we don't deal with Hamas, Hamas is a terrorist organization. But um, that is easier said than done. We still don't quite know. There were rumors that um, perhaps Biden isn't the one who pulled out. They pulled out and then Biden had to adjust. And he didn't say the trip to Jordan to meet with those leaders is canceled. He said he's going to reschedule it, you know, which is, you know, semantics. But again, a, a slight indication that that he's still open to meeting with them at another time. Um, But it just shows you. But one thing that he has done in Israel, I want to mention that, is he met with families that have been affected by this attack. And what we're reading is that he's being very well received in Israel. The people of Israel are saying that, you know, they appreciate Biden and feel that he's saying and doing the right things. And Bill, to T.S. point, um, Prime Minister, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been facing a lot of criticism in Israel for for not making some of those meetings with families who have uh, hostages taken in Gaza and others who are affected by, uh, by by this escalating violence. But look, President Biden right now, he this is an extraordinarily gutsy move, putting himself right into the middle 
of a escalating violence in the middle of uh, one of the U.S.'s top allies, but also in the middle of a very unpredictable, volatile situation. And as Tia said, yeah, he's he's taking sides uh, when it came to this strike uh, or, or this blast at the hospital in Gaza City, saying um, not only saying that it was the other team, but also saying that he has based his comments on an American military evaluation and what he says is data shown by the U.S. Defense Department. Um, to, to the point you made earlier, Bill, to, to a lot of people on the ground, it doesn't matter who um, who's who's to blame. You know, there there are protests in Arab capitals all over the Middle East right now over this deadly blast. Um, they don't. There are folks here who have no trust for what the IDF or what the U.S. is saying. Obviously, right? And there are Israelis who will never believe that their military could have done something like this, um, and, and, and their supporters. But that doesn't change the fact that there are civilians, more even more civilians now, who are affected and who are killed and who are injured um, by the escalating violence in the Middle East. And, 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 and overnight night last night and into today, we're seeing in any number of Arab capitals, large demonstrations, not only against the United States, against Israel, but against the United States as well. And a number of reports that we've heard uh, have have said that all of a sudden the chant death to America has uh, resurfaced uh, as a result of what happened at this hospital. Um, well, we have an interesting situation here in the Georgia legislature. Um, we have two members of the of the state house for whom this is more even more personal, and we're going to talk to them today and tomorrow. Today, we're going to talk to State Representative Rua Roman, who is the first Palestinian American to be elected to the state house. Um, Representative Roman, we're so happy that you could join us today. Thanks for being with us. Hi, um, thank you so much for having me. I, I wanted to start by pointing out, I think I'm correct, and, and you'll tell me if I'm not. Your family actually um, are refugees uh, from uh, 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 the um, fr from the West, I think the West Bank, um, although I'm not certain about that, <laughs> but they fled when Israel became a state many years ago. Have I got that right? Yeah, so I am the granddaughter of Palestinian refugees. Both sides of my family um, are refugees and ended up settling in Jordan, where I was born. Well, Representative, uh, take us back a week. Um, you know, some of us might have been up. I, I stayed up way too late. So I was up when the attacks, when I first learned about the attacks. Uh, you might have woken up Saturday morning like a lot of people to learn. About, but take us back to your initial reaction um, of, the, uh, of, of, of what has unfolded uh, on October 7th. Yeah, I, um, I think it's honestly a perfect microcosm of sort of how everything has changed on this and, and grown on this. But I was actually running a 5K. Um, we had a local 5K here on domestic violence, um, and it was just a cause that I really, really care about. And so I had gotten home and was getting some like phone calls and text messages um, about what was uh, starting to unfold. And I think my initial reaction was shock. Um, and then quickly that went into what does my role even look like here? Um, if I was ready for, <laughs> if I was ready to deal with international affairs, I would have considered running for Congress. But <laughs> as a state representative, I had to make a decision of do, you know, what do I do here? What is my role here? Because there is 
no playbook for somebody like me. When you're a first, you don't really know what to do. There's nobody telling you what to do. There's nobody helping you figure out what to do. And so I decided to fall back on what I know best, which is remember that there are real people in the middle of this. And I tried to explain that. I tried to explain that I don't have jurisdiction here, that I have a lot of people who are looking to me for something, for guidance that I'm trying to find myself. But at the end of the day, the thing that we need to remember the most are the people most impacted by this, the civilians, the you know, the victims, all of that. Hi, Representative. It's Patricia Murphy. Um, Hi. I would love it if you would go a bit more into that. We have followed you very closely at the legislature. Um, you're quite visible because you are also the first um, first woman or person to wear a hijab down at the General Assembly and, of course, the first Palestinian-American. And um, it's you and your colleagues, I think, seemed to mesh very well. I think people learned a great deal from you simply being in the chamber. But you're so right. I I have thought about you so much because you're a graduate of South Forsyth High School. I mean, you're Georgian through and through, but you do also play these dual roles. Um, talk a little bit more about who is looking to you. Are those fellow Palestinian Americans? Is it Democrats? Who is coming to you and saying, I, I need... I need to know something or I want to tell you something. Honestly, to everyone, um, this has really brought together a lot of like-minded people that genuinely care about the well-being of the the most marginalized, if, if for lack of a better word. You know, um, there are, you know, members of the progressive Jewish community that came to me. There are members of my Palestinian community that came to me. There are members of my Muslim community that came to me. There are members of my caucus that came to me. And it was always sort of a similar question of, what do we do? It was like trying to process everything that was happening and also trying to figure out what is the best path forward to, you know, be there for our communities, support our communities. Um, I'll be honest with you, it did not help that I ended up getting a really bad case of COVID the next day, um, that Sunday. So, you know, it's been sort of, uh, it's been a lot. And what have your colleagues said to you? Yeah, um, honestly, it's just been a question of trying to understand what is happening on the ground. Um, the sad reality is Twitter is no longer, or X, I guess, is now it's being called, isn't really what it used to be. You can't go on there and see a blue check mark and know that the person who is posting things is real. Um, I read and speak Arabic. This is the first time I'm unable to discern what is a real source and what is not a real source. Um, and it was really difficult. And so, you know, a lot of them were just asking me, that they were, they were the ones who reached out to me have been incredibly kind. It's been questions of tell us what you're seeing, tell us what your community is feeling. How can we be there if, like, they have, you know, um, Muslims or Palestinians that live in their community? Um, in addition to that, you know, the our federal counterparts have been great in making sure that they updated resources available for community members, whether it's those that have family in Israel or those that have family in the West Bank and Gaza. Granted. That has been much more complicated, but, you know, it it has been sort of a movement of we need to focus on the people that need us most right now. Um, and what can we do? Representative Rahman, it's Tia. Thank you again for joining Hi. us. I have a question for you about just the difference between being pro-Palestine and being pro-Hamas. We know that Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib um, received criticism for having a Palestinian flag outside of her congressional office, and she's Palestinian. She had been having that flag outside of her office, and I'm sure you've 
I'm assuming that you've had to deal with some of that, too. Can you address how you respond when people say, you know, why are you, you know, promoting or or showing pride in Palestine during a time like this? Yeah, I, um, you know, I like I said, I take my responsibility as state representative very, very seriously. And I've had some difficult conversations with those that do see me being a Palestinian as a painful thing for them right now. And. I don't know what to say to that. Like the cruel irony is that, you know, those of us that understand what it's like to lose members in a conflict are on either side of this. Um, and so I just want to make sure like I talk about that because there, there is, there are real people hurting here. At the end of the day, me being Palestinian does not mean me that I'm part of Hamas or associate with Hamas. And, you know, I've heard people go, well, you know, we need a statement condemning Hamas. And I'm like, I could tweet that I condemn Hamas every single day and it's not going to make a difference. Because even when I was a child and I and I'm not exaggerating when I say I was a child, I was in my driver's ed class. My teacher overheard somebody mention I was Palestinian and they pulled me out of class. That teacher pulled me out of class to interrogate me to make sure I'm not part of Hamas. So, like, this is sort of something that every Palestinian deals with where even if we don't have family in Gaza, especially those that have family in Gaza and aren't associated with Hamas, those of us that have family in West Bank, Hamas doesn't exist there. And it's been such an infuriating element of this conversation because it doesn't capture who Palestinians are. It's That's the thing that gets the most attention, but that is not the Palestinian experience. That is not the, the full scope of the Palestinian community. That's, you know, it's just one of those things that's been really, really frustrating to me because I feel like there are people who can and should know better, um, and they're just choosing not to. Representative Roman, um, uh, let me follow up. Do you have family in Gaza? Certainly, I assume you, you've you been talking to fellow Palestinian Americans who do have family in Gaza. Yeah. No, I don't. My family is in the West Bank. Which, by the way, has had its own, you know, challenges. To be clear, it's not like the West Bank is a cakewalk. And over, and I never want it to seem like, you know, me providing explanations, and I want to be incredibly clear about this, an explanation is not a justification. Me providing an explanation is not a provided justification for what is happening or what is going on. But for the past, you know, long time now in the West Bank, you know, family members have dealt with violence from settlers. They've dealt with their crops being torched. They've dealt with you know, just really, really, really awful violence that most people don't talk about until another big flashpoint happens and suddenly everybody wants to be an expert on the Middle East for the day. Yeah, and it's I know it's a daily occurrence in the Middle East and we in the U.S. and other parts of the, the world uh, tune in when there is, you know, uh, escalating and, and the news that we kind of saw over the last week. But Representative, I don't want to ask you, of course, to solve this crisis of, uh, but you, you are here navigating your role in this historic role as the first Palestinian American elected official in Georgia history. And, uh, also with your own constituents as a lawmaker, we have seen in the state Capitol, you know, Republicans in the Georgia house issued a statement. Uh, Republicans are almost unanimous in their pro-Israel tilt. Democrats seems like they have a greater divide. I think we saw some of that in the statements earlier this week. Both statements that we saw from Georgia House leaders condemned Hamas, of course. Um, but we saw the House Republican statement largely focus on Hamas. Democrats took a different approach. Can you talk about how you helped shape that statement, how, how you and fellow Democrats feel, at least in the House, feel about what's happening? 
Representative Roman, before you do, just to set this in context, the Democratic statement said, among other things, we hope for the protection of Palestinian civilians along with Israeli and American hostages in Gaza. We express our deep condolences and sympathies to all those impacted by the ongoing violence in Israel and Gaza, whereas the Republican statement condemned what they called the barbaric slaughter of Israelis, Americans, and other foreign nationals at the hands of Hamas terrorists. And they said, we stand with Israel. Very different statements. Yeah. And I think that's a clear difference. And I never want to, I want to be clear. I do not speak for other members. I do not, you know, I can't like tell you what somebody is thinking, but what I can tell you is that that is a clear indication of the difference in parties. It's not that one party is okay with violence and isn't condemning it enough or whatever the case may be. But our priority right now is to help Georgians that are most impacted by this in whatever way that they need instead of politicizing this and frankly grandstanding. There's nothing in that statement that provides resources or help for anybody that needs it. And I asked my neighbors because my neighbors, some of them are politically involved, some of them are not. And I asked them, I said, have you you know, did you hear about these statements? Have you read about them? They're like, no, all I know is that there's some resources out there, but I don't know what they are. And so as state representatives, especially in a house that's incredibly diverse, and to be clear, those Republicans represent Palestinians. I know for a fact that there are major Palestinian donors for the Republican Party in Georgia that are incredibly disappointed at the fact that the Republican leadership is not recognizing them. And so it's, you know, for us, it was really important that we not over politicize this or not grandstand, but instead be as helpful as possible and be there for our constituents that need it most. Representative, along with having you in uh, the Democratic caucus, the Democrats also have uh, Representative Esther Panich, who is the only member of the is the only Jewish member of the General Assembly. Is has that been a difficult situation for Democrats to navigate? Or do you feel like you and Representative Panich are on the same page in terms of the role of the state representatives in, in this area? Yeah, I think, you know, as freshmen, we all try to kind of figure out how we want to do this. You know, in my case, I never expected to run for office. I ended up launching my campaign 15 days after an EJC article. Um, And so, like, this is all very, very unexpected. There's no playbook for us. And so, you know, we do try really, really hard to work together as a caucus, figure out consensus when we move forward, you know, make sure that we are, you know, we never want to contribute negatively to a conversation. We try really hard to make sure that, you know, we respect our office. The tone that we present in conversations is in that regard. Obviously, as politics, I know how this works. But, you know, I mean, sure, there are challenges. But let's be honest, if you look at who are the number one, you know, signers and presenters of some of the more divisive bills, it's not Democrats. And Representative Ramon, we're, I know we're kind of getting uh, sh- short on time. We appreciate it. But I wanted to allow you to just close us out with what would you hope is the path forward, especially as the President Biden is in Israel? We know that um, there will be calls for more U.S. intervention, more U.S. dollars. But again, a growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza, what would be your we know you have a relationship with the White House. Have you been in contact with them? And if not, you know, what would be your advice if they asked? 
I unfortunately do not have a relationship with the White House. I've been um, lucky enough to be invited to some really important repro summits, but that's sort of like above my pay grade as a freshman state representative. However, you know, my ask has been and continues to be from the very first moment that civilians be protected, there be a ceasefire, and that if we want to be involved in the Middle East, the solutions that we present have to be holistic and long lasting. By the way, you'll hear me say this on the House floor about all policy. As a policy analyst, as a policy professional, I really do care about finding good solutions that help the majority of people. And we can't do that if we just keep, you know, playing this like political tit for tat. And in this particular moment, I think somebody mentioned like it's that team or this team. There are real people dying. There are real children dying. There are real families are, as we speak, being completely wiped off the face of the earth. And the the unfortunate reality is when war happens and the fog of war happens and misinformation happens, it's on leaders and people to, to be the calmer voice in all of that noise. And so like my hope and my aspirations is that one, people learn, you know, one, not all Palestinians are Hamas. That there are a total of about 5 million Palestinians in the area, you know, a l- little less than half in Gaza, a little, you know, more than half in the West Bank. The, Hamas is not in the West Bank. And yet there hasn't been a solution across the board for Palestinians and that this didn't just start now, but it is really important that for those that are focused on this, that they focus on a better path forward that is just for everyone. Representative Rua Roman, we're really grateful to you for spending time talking with us about the war uh, now uh, raging in in, uh, Israel and in uh, Gaza. So thank you so much for being uh, with us. And I want to remind everybody that uh, tomorrow, Representative Esther Panich, who is the only Jewish member of the Georgia legislature, is going to join us as well. We're going to pause and take our final break. We'll be back with more in a moment. Guess what? The House still doesn't have a speaker. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown. The Trump indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our colleagues at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you informed on all the developments in the Fulton County case against Donald Trump. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage into one place, the Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on the historic case in your inbox. Sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, indictment newsletter. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And uh, you'll start getting it every Wednesday. Patricia, um, I thought it was really perfect that at the very top of the show, Tia Mitchell said she feels a little bit like she's living Groundhog's Day every morning she wakes up and the House still does not have a speaker. That's the case again today. Jim Jordan uh, tried to push his way into uh, the uh, job yesterday, but in fact, he lost 20 Republican votes but um, he's going to come back today. They convene at about 11. He's going to call for yet another vote. Here's what he had to say about it all. We're going to keep going. I've had great conversations, great discussions with uh, our colleagues. 
And frankly, no one in our conference wants to see any type of coalition government with Democrats. So we're going to keep working and we're going to get to the votes. Patricia, you covered the Hill for quite some time and you worked on the Hill as well. What's going on at this point with Jim Jordan's apparently um, very, very tricky path to becoming speaker? Well, right now we have a Republican Party in the state house, I would say around the country and even on the presidential trail, campaign trail, that feels almost irreparably, irreparably broken. These feel like people who are not in the same party at a certain point. And what's happening in the House right now is that, yes, it has been um, this ongoing situation like Groundhog Day, as Tia said, um, where they continue to wake up every day without a speaker and think they might make some progress that day and then they don't. But it's actually getting a lot worse for Republicans. They are running out of runway to solve this problem. They're also running out of candidates. They They have a lot of people who, for the last year, two years, four years, have been the, oh, wouldn't he be a great speaker candidate. Um, That's Steve Scalise. That's Jim Jordan. Now that those men have put themselves forward, they're not getting the votes either. And it's kind of like the road not taken from Kevin McCarthy. Well, they take that road and it's going to the exact same place. They have a they have a caucus that cannot agree on almost anything because they have this requirement to have near unanimity. They have to have almost their entire caucus agree on something to make it happen. Um, Jordan, uh, they're they're gaveling back in at 11 o'clock. Right now, it's just before 11. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen today. Um, but we are hearing from sources on the Hill that it looks like Jordan is losing support, not gaining support, um, if he indeed even tries to go for a second second yeah. vote. Bill, Greg, Patricia. we should point out very quickly, and then please uh, go ahead, that Tia has uh, dropped off the conversation because she's already taking her seat in the gallery, the press gallery, to watch all of this unfold. But go ahead, please, Greg. Yeah, she has to get in there for a very busy day. But uh, guys, Patricia and Tia uh, put it perfectly in the jolt this morning that the opposition to Jim Jordan is rooted in both fear and loathing. The fear part comes from swing district Republicans who are worried that having a far right member, uh, the co-founder of the House Freedom Caucus in charge of the chamber could could help spell their doom in next year's election. A lot of these, a lot of these, uh, these, these Republicans represent districts that Biden won in 2020. And the loathing part comes from allies of both former Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who are so upset that their far-right colleagues ousted McCarthy and blocked Scalise that they don't want to go give them a reward now by endorsing uh, Jim Jordan's bid for the Speaker's gavel. You know, one of the things that's, uh, I, I, there are certain things I did not know about Jim Jordan. I mean, I knew that he was certainly one of the, the most uh, far right Republicans in the U.S. House. I know that he uh, was one of the leaders of the efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. He did not vote to certify the Biden uh, victory, among other things about him. Patricia, I did not know until reading a bit more about him this week, he has not in his entire tenure in Congress passed a single bill. And that makes him not unlike many of his colleagues on the far right, who seem to be there more to be disruptors and to attract media attention than to actually work on the business of government and on behalf of the people of the country. Yeah. And that 
really is the fundamental problem with Jim Jordan's effort right now is that it is an outside effort. He is working to get uh, pressure placed on his colleagues from the outside. He um, has never run a whip operation to gather votes. He's always been trying to peel votes off or stop legislation instead of pass legislation. And so he really has fallen short, I think, of even his own allies' expectations of being able to marshal the votes. Um, He did flip some really important important colleagues over. But um, we're getting reports that those colleagues, including um, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee from Alabama, was hearing from his own Republicans in Alabama who'd been contacted by Jordan's allies to say, you need to call him and get him to flip or else we're going to primary him. So it's not uh, not being done in (laughs) a way that is collegiate. And if you don't have the numbers, it's also not effective. Greg, you got a last comment on this before we move on? Yeah, and all it takes is four holdouts, right? All it takes is four to kind of doom that bit because Democrats aren't going to go rally behind Jim Jordan right now. And here in Georgia, all nine Republicans supported Jordan even Austin Scott, who launched that shocking surprise lightning bit, as you called it, Bill, last week. But there's no signs that that 20 number will erode significantly. And to me, the most likely scenario is that House lawmakers vote to give interim speaker Patrick McHenry more power. So at least there can be some way to move forward in the U.S. House. All right. Um, we're going to watch it all unfold. Greg, before we leave, we are running a little short on time, but I think it's a good idea to give you a chance to promote a story that you put up on AJC.com, your conversation with Rachel Maddow, who has a brand new book out. Tell us just a little bit about it. Give us a, a tease. Yeah, the book is called Prequels about the homegrown plot to kind of instill so much chaos that a Hitler-like despot could take power in the U.S. It is one of the most underlooked chapters of American history. I had no idea about it before I read the book a couple of days ago. She's going to be here in Atlanta Fox Theater on Friday with Stacey Abrams, who will be moderating a conversation. And it's just a, a, a chilling historic look at, at how close the country was to chaos before World War II. All right, Greg's story is already up on AJC.com. That's about all the time we have for uh, today. But before we leave you, I want to remind you that if you have a question you'd like to ask us here on Politically Georgia, call the Politically Georgia call-in hotline anytime. You can leave a question, and we'll play back some of your questions and try to answer them for you right here on the show. The number is 404 526 ajc P. That's 404-526-2527. We are looking forward to hearing from you. So thank you so much for joining us today for Politically Georgia. We're now releasing new episodes every weekday. So look for new additions to hit your podcast app sometime around one o'clock every afternoon. All of this is leading up to the October 30th debut of our new Politically Georgia radio show, which will air Mondays through Friday mornings at 10 on WABE. In the meantime, join us again tomorrow for Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song 
in celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.